Hey, good morning, Heart Church. Shane here. And uh, we are coming to you live from our studio as we do every week. We have a service outdoors at 9 a.m. that uh, we'd like to invite you to. It's uh, in downtown Escondido on... uh, 215 South Hickory Street at 9 a.m. And then we do a message here just for you, Facebook Live. So we just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us for wherever you're joining us from. We're in a series in John, and we're going to just kind of start out by saying that uh, John it was written specifically so that we might see Jesus, and in seeing and believing in him, we might find life in his name. And so everything that's in John was to that end. And we're looking at John chapter 8. And I just want to ask you a question. What do you do with sin? The dilemma of sin, the stronghold of sin, the bondage of sin. What do you do to it? And I know the Christian answer. Oh, we give it to Jesus. But I want to talk to you about being healed and redeemed or delivered from the bondage of sin. I know it sounds kind of deep, but man, we're going to dive in and uh, we're going to hit John chapter eight and starting in verse one. And it says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning and he came again to the temple. And so I like to give a little bit of geography as we dive in. You always kind of want to see, okay, where is Jesus? And Jesus is here on the Temple Mount again. We know that because it says that he was at the the Mount of Olives, which is just a a brief walk up a hill from the Temple Mount. So he was up on the Mount of Olives, and that's where the Garden of Gethsemane was. That's the triumphal entry. Came down from that in Jerusalem. You always want to know, okay, is, is, is Jesus in Jerusalem or is Jesus at the Sea of Galilee? Sea of Galilee is amazing. It's uh, um, like Lake Tahoe, huge. And uh, it's about San Diego to LA in terms of distance from Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem. So Jesus would often come to Jerusalem for a feast um, or those kinds of things. It's a festival. And so here we are and Jesus is back in Jerusalem. And it says that he came again to the temple and all the people came to him. He was not, by the way, he's not inside the temple. You couldn't teach inside the temple. So he was sitting on the steps uh, outside the temple mount. And it says that he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say, Jesus? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Jesus said, no, Lord, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these moments that we have together. I know that you want to speak Jesus. And so I ask that you would open up our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you would be saying to us so that we might be transformed 
from the inside out in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story is controversial. In fact, probably one of the most controversial stories in the, Old, in the New Testament. In fact, uh, if you have an ESV translation, and I believe some else also do this, but the ESV, it actually says, earliest manuscripts do not include this story. And, and, and there's this huge debate going on about this story. And the reason for that is because it's so, um, it's, it's, it's so polarizing on, on what we do with sin. How do we deal with sin? And again, John is putting all of these collection of stories about Jesus together, not to tell a chronological narrative about Jesus's life, but to point us to something and to answer the question, who is this Jesus? Who was he then to them? And who he, is he now to us? And so these, these early leaders, they had a hard time with this story, not because it was controversial whether or not it happened. It happened. But what, but what we, we glean from it, and so they kind of put an asterisk next to it. And, and if you're a golfer, you're kind of, you'll, you'll kind of understand the illustration of, it's kind of like, you know, uh, having a, a, getting a birdie on a, on, you know, a par four and you, you have only three shots, which is a birdie, but you had like a mulligan on the, uh, on the, um, you know, the, the first shot, hit it into the woods, take a second shot, didn't count it. And so you got a birdie, but it's a birdie with an asterisk, meaning eh, it doesn't really count, but it makes us feel good. And that's kind of how the first leaders saw this scripture is it makes us feel good, but, but we don't know if it counts because we don't really know what to do with it. And, um, and here we are, we're answering the question, what to do with sin? And we're looking at this passage where Jesus interacts with this sinful woman and Man, I'll tell you, we live in a day and age where truth is relative and, um, and, you know, there's not really a true right and wrong anymore in the world. And we live in a world where the Bible isn't absolute truth anymore or believed to believe. Now, obviously, a lot of churches still hold this as the standard and our church is one of them. We believe that this is God breathed and this is the standard by which we live our life. But more and more so our society and even the Christian society is moving away from absolute truth. And so we kind of feel like an obligation to hold the line on sin, on um, values, which is right. And so we ask the question, what to do with sin? And I just want to say publicly that there is a right and wrong, that uh, truth is not relative, that sin is destructive, that God hates sin because it hurts his kids. The wages of sin is death. And if you're watching here and you've, um, you've ever been through something and you got caught and you know like the consequences of sin are death. Doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't forgive us or that he's not good or that he doesn't lead us through it, but sin kills. And that's why God hates it. And yet, what do we do with sin? The answer is it. we just got to stop sinning. Okay, everybody, starting today, it's like we're going on a new diet. The new diet is we're not going to sin. Starting today, ready, go. Don't sin anymore. That's a tough one to swallow, isn't it? Uh, it's kind of like a good diet. Uh, I give it about two weeks. I'm going to make some progress and then I'm going to binge and I'm going to kind of be worse than I started. And so what do you do with sin? 
we were taught that in order to keep somebody from sinning, that we need to show them the consequences for sin. I, I know I fall into this, this with my own kids. It's like, it's not rocket science. Um, it, it's cause and effect. You want good things to happen? Do good things. You don't want bad things to happen? Stop doing the bad things. And, and, and this is kind of how we view sin is, is we, we need to show the consequences for it, the wages of it, and maybe that will keep all of us from sinning. And so here are these uh, Pharisees and they, they bring this woman in, they're parading her around in front of the, the, the most popular populated place in all of Jerusalem on the temple steps. They drag her in and they're saying, Jesus, like, what do you do with sin? I mean, our view is, man, see this woman? She did bad. And so we're going to show everybody what happens to bad people. She's going to get paraded, shamed, and then we're going to stone her. And I think that that will be compelling enough to make sure that everybody else stops sinning. And I think that that really epitomizes religion. That, that if we make the consequences bad enough and we tell people stringently enough and, and, and vehemently enough, stop sinning, that we will all straighten up and start walking the straight and narrow path. And what we see in Jesus is very different. His response to the Pharisees was very different because I don't believe um, that, that that is the answer to sin. I don't think you believe it. I know Jesus didn't believe it. And so we're going to dive in to what it looks like to be healed and delivered from the bondage of sin. This isn't going to be a comprehensive list, but I think that it's going to, th- this story gives us a window into the way that Jesus felt about these things. And so the first one is, we notice this woman got dragged into the midst. And I, I just find it interesting that like the, the most profound moment of healing and deliverance that we see in the New Testament, this controversial passage where this woman gets forgiven and transformed happens in the midst of an entire congregation. This wasn't, a lot of Jesus' miracles and interactions with people was kind of one-on-one. He would go to somebody and he would heal them and And then he would speak into their life and they would go off healed and they would go off saved or whatever. Nicodemus, you know, in the middle of the night or Zacchaeus in a tree. This is like one-on-one interactions. But this one that Jesus finds himself in, not on mistake, is in the middle of this giant courtyard populated with people, dragged into the midst. And here's this woman. And you know, the other thing that I think is really interesting is that Jesus did nothing to cover or conceal this woman in that moment. And I, I, I'd never seen it before, but think about it. This woman's probably not wearing very much. I mean, maybe she has a sheet pulled over her or something, but I mean, she was dragged out after being caught in the very act of adultery. And here she is, and they're pointing at her, and they're laughing at her, probably spitting at her, calling her names. And Jesus, he does nothing to to minimize the pain of that moment, the humiliation of that moment. And I'm like, Jesus is the most compassionate person on the planet, pretty much invented the word, 
with nothing but love. And I was just kind of thinking, if that was my daughter, what if that was your daughter? Fathers, mothers, what if that was your daughter that was being humiliated like that? Oh my gosh, the mama bear claws would come out, you moms, dads, like we would take out the whole group, cover our daughter, bring her home, tell her it's okay. Why? Because we try really hard to, to, uh, to um, protect our kids from pain. I mean, I know, you know you're like me and maybe you're like a son or a daughter and you're like, yeah, my parents do that all the time. They kind of coddle me. They sort of enable me. We do that as parents because we hate the thought of our kids experiencing pain at any level. And yet Jesus, who has more love and care for this woman than anyone on the planet, does nothing to eliminate the humiliation in this moment. I think that's it's interesting and, and, and it, it kind of draws the other, the question of why, why God, the Father, loving Father, allows us to walk through hard things. I mean, how many times have you heard the question, why does a loving Father allow, you know, pain and suffering in the world? And listen, we're not here to answer that question, but I do know that, that God allows his kids to walk through difficult things when he could snap his fingers and give you smooth sailing your whole life. Why? Because he's not the enabling parent. (laughs) He is a loving parent, but he is walking you to a place of freedom, even if it doesn't feel like freedom in the moment. And I promise you that that woman in the midst of all those people being humiliated with the fear of being stoned did not feel free, did not feel delivered. And yet it was a pathway to something. And this is the pathway for you and I that I don't want us to miss because it's the first step in freedom from sin and it's healing. And healing takes place in a unique, pl- in a unique way. And we see it in, in uh, the key to it in John chapter one in verse 14. We were in John eight. Now we're going to be in John one briefly. And we're going to start in verse 14. And it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten son. And here it is, full of grace and truth. It goes on to say, Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. See, there's a version of grace that's not really grace. We see a scandalous version of grace in in John 8. And, and frankly, I think this is what the Pharisees were looking at and the, the early leaders were looking at when they're like, ah, let's put an asterisk next to that story. Because this version of grace seems scandalous, seems ridiculous, not sure about it. So let's just put an asterisk next to it because I'm not sure. And I'm here to tell you that there is a version of grace that isn't real grace because it's not connected to truth. It's more like lipstick. It's like like makeup on a pig, right? It's like it doesn't do a lot to the inside of a person. It's just like, hey, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, we've all seen um, or heard about, you know, kids that were able to do whatever they wanted, got whatever they wanted by their parents, and they're just kind of treated like spoiled brats. And what did they become? Spoiled brats. Nothing took place on the inside. They were just given grace as a merit to do whatever you want. 
And, and I think that people see this passage and think maybe that's what Jesus was doing. But it, frankly, it's the opposite because what they meant, the Pharisees meant for evil, for shame, for harm, dragging this woman out into the midst, Jesus knew was a part of the freedom. Why? Because grace is only grace when it's connected to truth. The grace of God is for the real you, not the hidden you. See, this woman had this whole hidden lifestyle. And I know it was hidden because this was, as we see, a very shameful act. If you ever got caught, we see what happens. In fact, the law says, drag her out and actually stone her. And so this woman, this whole lifestyle she had was very secretive. It was darkness. It wasn't truth. She wasn't walking in the light. When she would see people on the road, she would present a different version of herself. And so Jesus knew that and they brought her out into the midst, into the light. Hey, this is who she really is. And as painful and awful as it may seem, it was actually the doorway into a place of healing and wholeness in her life. And the same is true for you And for me, I want to read two scriptures. It says in James chapter five, verse 16, therefore confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Doesn't say forgiven. It says healed. See, there's a difference between forgiveness and healing from sin. We're answering the question, what are we going to do with sin? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing is that we're going to get forgiven from the father. The Bible says that anyone who confesses our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get that from God. But the healing part, what James is saying is healing takes place when you bring something that was darkness, that was hidden, that was concealed. We didn't want anybody to know. And we bring it to the light and confess it to somebody. This isn't confessional. This isn't confessing it to a priest. This is bringing it to the light and say, you know what? This is who I really am. This is what I'm really dealing with. And the Bible says that healing begins to take place. Why? Ephesians chapter five, verse 13 says this. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Well, that's obvious. You walk into a room and you hit your toe on a, you know, on a chair that you didn't know was there because you're walking around in the middle of the night and it's dark. And you flip on the light and you're like, oh, there's the chair. I can move out of the way. Anything that is exposed by the light becomes visible. And then it says, for anything that becomes visible is light. In other words, when you're walking in hidden darkness like this woman, I have this secret life and these secret sins and I, I don't want anybody to know about it. It's darkness. And the enemy has a power in darkness tentacles are on that. And anything that is exposed by the light, the word says becomes light, meaning the DNA of that thing changes and the power of sin is broken, leading way to freedom and healing. And so that's what was taking place with this woman. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Any, uh, I want you to write this down. What lives in the dark dies in the light. What's able to live in hidden places of darkness dies when it's exposed to the light. So there's two reasons why, why, we, why we cover sin and it's in darkness. Two reasons. One is we minimize it. And I know in my own life, this has taken place where 
I justify sin. I minimize, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Somebody comes to you, right? You've, you've had this happen. Somebody comes to you and it's like, hey, you know, I love you, but I just want to like point something out. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's not that big of a deal. I don't have a problem, right? I don't have a problem. Everybody else sees it, but, but you're not willing to see it. We numb the pain and we just say, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. We look at other people. And we go, they're way worse than me. Look at that guy. He's like a train wreck. Look at him. I mean, he's got, he's, his life's falling apart. Gosh, we almost feel good about ourselves when we see somebody like that. Because you're like, I am not nearly as bad as that guy. And so we make ourselves feel better and we minimize the very sin that we have in the darkness. Not because we're trying to hide it, but because we don't want to deal with it. Pretend like it's not there. It's hidden. It's not exposed to the light. And therefore, we're not going to find freedom in that place. And the second one is more traditional, just hidden, hidden sins, secret sins. And here's a test on how to know if something is secret or hidden. Ready? It's hidden. You don't want anyone to know. It's just your secret. If somebody grabs your phone, let's say, right? And that you have that emotion like, (gasps) Your spouse grabs your phone or your friend grabs your phone. You're like, I hope they don't see that text message that I was texting my colleague or I hope they don't see those photos or I hope they don't look at my browsing history. Like all of those emotions are indicators of something is hidden. I hope they don't find out who I really am. And Jesus, we find him in the middle of this moment. And he reacts different to everybody that he interacts with. Some people he puts mud on their face. And some people he tells them to go down to the wash to the pool. Some people he's like, I'm coming to your house. This woman, he just kind of stood on the sidelines. He wrote in the dirt a little bit. And he allowed this parade, this painful parade. Why? Because it was the pathway to healing. Not because he wanted her to be humiliated. He wanted the things to get to the light. And then he stood up for her and said, I don't condemn you. In fact, I absolutely love you. And I just want to encourage you today that the pathway to healing and wholeness is the doorway is light. The doorway is truth. The grace of God comes to your rescue when you say, you know what? This is who I really am. I'm not hiding anymore. This doesn't mean you got to parade your sin around. It doesn't mean you got to go talk to the priest or the pastor. It just means, are there people in your life you're like, man, I hope they don't find out. My spouse, I hope she doesn't or he doesn't find out. My best friend, this person in my life, I hope they don't know this about me. Those are the people that you need to go, you know what? I need to have a hard conversation. I need to go from the Shadows, where the enemy is telling you, no one can know about this. No one should know about this. Or the enemy is telling you, it's really not that bad. You know what? You may have some issues here, but look at that guy over there. Or look at that woman over there. Or look at that family over there. It's so much worse, so it's really just fine. And, you, and, you, and we build this camp that we live in, that we justify in our mind, it's fine it's fine. It will go away. Or better yet, I'll never do that again. So I don't need to tell anybody. Oh, that's a good one. I'll tell you what, that is the calling card of the enemy. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. 
keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin doesn't just go away. It doesn't. Not when it's in darkness. Why? Because it's not exposed, so it's not light. It's darkness, and there's a power there. And healing cannot take place because it's the petri dish of fungus and infection. And so the enemy says, you know what? Just determine today that you're going to stop sinning. Here we go again. What are you going to do with sin? I'm just going to stop sinning. I've decided that uh, I, even though I've built this little sin camp, uh, I'm just going uh, to stop sinning. And maybe it goes on for a little while, but the bondage and the power of sin is still there because it's still in darkness. And the moment that we say, you know what? I'm going to come out from that and be who I really am. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself, my real self to be exposed. The grace of God comes running to you and meets you right there just like it did this woman. And I promise you, it's happened with me. The relationships that I thought would be fractured, in fact, grow because everybody wants truth. Everyone wants honesty. Now, again, I'm not promising that there isn't hard moments or a hard season, depending on what it is. But I can promise you this, that step into the light is the step toward healing and wholeness. I want to end with this last thing. It's this like ridiculous statement that Jesus makes at the end. So, you know, he's writing on the sand and he gets up and like just freaking demolishes these guys with one word. Hey, anybody who uh, hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw the, throw the, the rocks. And of course, they're all sinners. We're all sinners. And as they leave and Jesus is standing there with this woman, he says, where are your condemners? And she says, they're gone. And, and he says, I, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. The Bible says that he has not given us um, uh, condemnation, but of, 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 uh, of love. That, that we don't walk in condemnation, who are those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned because of Jesus. And that's a powerful, empowering statement. So, so this woman has this interaction, this encounter with Jesus. And this is the, the second step. Once we get to the doorway of walking in truth, walking in our truth, walking in light. This is who I really am. This is what I'm really dealing with and I'm ready to move forward. That's the doorway. And what we encounter is not what we think and it's not what the enemy says we're gonna encounter. He says we're gonna encounter hardship. We're gonna encounter fra fragmented relationships. It's only gonna get worse. In fact, it's the opposite. What this woman encountered is, I don't condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more what? Really? I mean, this woman is a sinner through and through. I mean, this is what she does for a living. And, and it, it's like our version of what to do to help somebody not sin. Our version of what we're going to do with sin is we're going to parade the consequences of sin around and then convince everybody that if you don't want that to happen, then start doing better. And so you'd expect Jesus, you know, like drew a diagram. Hey, um, you know those people that were about to stone you? Yeah, if you do this again, that's going to happen. Because like I gave you one get out of jail free card. I don't have any more. And so just remember the next time this, this happens, right? I feel like I'm talking to my kids. The next time this happens, there's going to be consequences. 
right? Like, I'm not the only parent that's done this. There's going to be consequences next time. It's not at all. What Jesus, Jesus says, I don't condemn you. In fact, I speak life into you. Go and sin no more. In other words, I'm empowering you to live a completely different life. Why? Because Jesus wasn't after behavior modification. Jesus, is, Jesus wasn't like, man, I really hope that her behavior starts turning around. I really hope that she just goes into like the model Christian, does all the right things. Like that would bring me joy. Now, Jesus isn't concerned with that. He's concerned with what? Her heart. He is concerned with what's on the inside. Why? Because out of the, the heart flows our behavior. See, this is the reversal from Christianity, from religion to Christianity, is Jesus says that it's, it's from, from the inside out. And Jesus said this all throughout. Every, every time he was talking with somebody, he was alluding to this idea where the Pharisees were like, let's, let's put lipstick on the pig. And Jesus is like, no, it's from the inside out that we are transformed. And so listen, do I want your behavior to change? Yes, why? Because the wages of sin are death. Sin kills. It hurts his kids and he hates it. And he wants people to change. But he knows that the answer isn't, don't do that because bad things will happen. He knows the answer is, Hey, let's be exposed into the light. Let's learn to live real, authentic lives where people are allowed to see the real us, not airing our dirty laundry, but, be, but not walking hidden and in secret and encountering the real Savior who speaks life into us in purpose and says, I believe in you. I know who you are. Go and sin no more. And she went on her way. Jesus is our advocate and he speaks life into you. Allow that transformation on the inside out and just watch as it changes your behavior. Can I pray for you? Father God, I thank you that you are doing a work in our lives and as hard as it is to answer this simple question, what are we gonna do with sin? God, I thank you that you've created a pathway for us to walk in in this simple story of us beginning to step from the shadows into the light. Admitting and coming to grips with the real us, what's really going on, as, as you hold the mirror of the word up in front of our lives and we're able to see once again the real us. And then in that place, we encounter the grace of God, the amazing love of God, the advocate who stands uh, pleading for us next to the Father. And it's with that that we have the power and motivation to go live different from the inside out. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have an awesome rest of the Sunday. And we'll see.